Max Baer is known in boxing circles as one of the hardest hitting men to ever fight. An extremely aggressive brawler with an iron chin and one punch knockout power in his right hand, Baer became the heavyweight champion of the world in the 1930s by mauling everyone who stood in his way, killing two boxers in the process. Called Madcap Maxi by the press for his unrelenting fighting style and fearsome reputation, Bear was often depicted as an unstoppable monster. Outside of the ring, however, Bear was a sensitive and empathetic man, a man who was haunted by the deaths he caused and hoped to stand as a symbol against the rising tide of fascism worldwide. Today, Max Bayer has a place amongst power-punching legends such as George Foreman, Mike Tyson, and Rocky Marciano. Many believe he is the most dangerous man in boxing history. Welcome to Shaking America, a history podcast. I'm Zach Knight. All of the sources I used are listed on the website at shakingamerica.com and on streaming. There are few fighters in history that were as charismatic or as dangerous as Max Baer. At once equally menacing and jovial, thuggish and empathetic, Baer captured the attention of the entire world during the late 1920s into the 1930s with his behavior both inside and outside of the ring. At the height of his fame and ability, he was the most feared fighter on the planet, brawling with little regard for his own safety, while also somehow maintaining a hard-partying lifestyle. One of the first boxers to become a true, worldwide celebrity, Bayer became known just as much for his remarkable boxing ability as his larger-than-life personality and ability to seduce movie stars and Broadway singers. Following boxing tradition, Max came from humble beginnings. Born in 1909 in Omaha, Nebraska to immigrant parents, Bear's roots reflected a diverse heritage. His mother hailed from a Scots-Irish background, while his father belonged to a French-Jewish family, making Bear officially one-quarter Jewish. In pursuit of a better life, his family decided to relocate to California when Bear was just 13 years old with aspirations of establishing a cattle farm. When Max was in the 8th grade, he was forced to drop out of school to help with farm work. Engaging in physically demanding tasks such as lifting bales of hay, shoveling rock, and wrestling cattle, he experienced rapid growth, eventually reaching an imposing height of 6 feet 2 inches. His impressive stature set him apart during a time when the average height for an American man barely surpassed 5 foot 6. Max's lack of education and Jewish heritage made him a target for local bullies. It's important to remember that in the early 1900s, there were obviously a lot more openly anti-Semitic Americans than there are today. During a town dance one night, an older boy started to push around the wiry teenage bear. Bear attempted to brush out the harassment with a laugh, but it persisted, attracting a growing crowd. Mocking his curly hair and farming background, the older boy relentlessly taunted him. 
Max responded by throwing one punch straight to the older boy's jaw. The onlookers were surprised and amazed when the strike knocked him out clean on the spot. On that day, at 16 years old, Max Baer discovered his great natural gift. He could punch harder than almost anyone else on earth. Max officially began training in boxing not long after. He had the ideal body type for the sport, with an especially long reach. While he stood 6'2", his wingspan was measured at 6'7". Working out in a gym for the first time in his life, Bear began to quickly fill into his frame. After only a few years of training, Bear went from 170 pounds to 221. Max, like most boxers of his era, fought early and often. When he made his pro debut in 1929, it only took him two rounds to knock his opponent out cold. Before the year was over, Bear would fight 15 more times, only losing once and by disqualification. Nine of his first 14 wins were first-round knockouts. There would not be a more fearsome boxing prospect until Mike Tyson. In this early stage of his career, Max was a wild man with little regard for his own safety. To make up for his relative lack of technique and newness to the sport, Max adopted a swarming, slugger style centered around the terrifying power in his right hand, often taking two punches to land one. He would even taunt his opponents during his fights, inciting them into brawls where he could use his power to quickly end the match. Max rapidly gained notoriety amongst boxing fans, who loved his iron chin, his show-stopping power, and his reckless demeanor. This was a period in which the three most popular sports were, in order, baseball, boxing, and horse racing. A rising, fearless contender in the heavyweight division was front-page news. Max quickly fought his way up the ranks, and by 1930, he was widely regarded as a future title challenger. In August of that year, Max was set to fight veteran boxer Frankie Campo. Before the match, Bear's trainer inexplicably betrayed him, switching to Campbell's corner. Furthermore, he insulted Max to the press, claiming that his lack of technique would prevent him from ever reaching the upper echelon of the sport. As a result, Max entered the fight with even more venom and recklessness than usual. In the second round, he overthrew his right hand so wildly that he slipped to the canvas. Campbell believed that Bear would receive an eight count and turned his back to Max. Max quickly rose to his feet and leveled Campbell with as hard of a punch as he could throw. When Campbell returned to his corner, he told his coaches, I think something snapped in my head. Despite Campbell's apparent injury, the fight went on. Boxing matches in this period were a lot more brutal than they are today. Doctor stoppages were rare, throwing in the towel was almost never done, and referees would let fighters take vicious beatings before they even thought about stopping the fight. In the fifth round, Bear cornered Campbell against the ropes and unleashed everything he had, landing hooks and uppercuts to the head and body. Campbell, still dazed from the previous concussion, could only cover up and absorb the punishment. The referee let the beating continue until the only thing holding Campbell up was the ropes. Max won the fight, and Campbell was rushed unconscious to the hospital. He never woke up, and was declared dead the next morning. The coroner ruled that the beating Campbell took from Max caused his death, 
and that his brain had actually dislodged from his spinal cord. Max spent the entire night at the hospital, attempting to comfort Campbell's grieving wife. He offered his hand in support, the same hand that dropped and killed her husband, and sat with her as she wept. After leaving the hospital, Bear was arrested on charges of manslaughter, but the case was quickly dropped, as the fight had been completely legal. Nevertheless, feelings of guilt weighed upon the young fighter, and he sank into a deep depression. He contemplated leaving boxing completely, but times were hard, and his family needed money. Eventually, when he agreed to return to the ring four months later, his killer instinct and reckless pressure were completely gone. He stood, visibly out of shape, taking punches and refusing to pull the trigger, apparently afraid of what his power might do to his opponents if he connected. Bear would lose four of his next six fights and seemed destined to fade into obscurity. He again took some time off, avoiding the public and the press. However, this second break seemed to work better than the first, and after a few months, Bear was back to joking and laughing. His mental health clearly improved. Furthermore, his old confidence and finishing instinct seemed to have returned, and his coaches were impressed with his aggressiveness in sparring. In 1932, Max Bear made his return to high-level boxing in a bout against top contender Ernie Schaefe. Schaefe had previously beaten Bear during his slump, but that was a different man than the one who stood before him now. In a performance reminiscent of his early career, Max repeatedly pressured Schaefe to the ropes and battered him with strikes to the head and body. He dropped Schaefe several times, and in the final seconds of the fight, knocked Schaefe out cold with one punch. Ernie Schaefe would complain of persistent headaches for months after his loss to Bear. In his next fight, he was dropped and knocked out with a jab early in the bout. The doctors on site were unable to revive Schaefe, and he died in the ring. The coroner's autopsy revealed that he had severe brain swelling, despite only being hit a few times in the fight. The coroner attributed the swelling to the beating Schaefe took at the hands of Max Bear months previous. Once again, Max was labeled as a murderer, and newspapers around the country featured stories of the hard-hitting Californian who had killed two men in the ring. Max was deeply affected by the death of Ernie Schaefe. He hid his grief by partying and joking, but he began having nightmares about his role in the deaths of the two fighters. Nevertheless, he vowed to fight on, pushing his feelings to the side as he began his title campaign in earnest. In 1933, Max Baer was matched against German boxer Max Schmeling, former heavyweight champion and Hitler's favorite fighter. After the death of Ernie Schaefe, Baer had developed a truly fearsome reputation, but most boxing pundits believed Schmeling was the more technically well-rounded fighter, and Baer entered the bout as the underdog. Nazi publications praised Schmeling as the future of human evolution while denouncing Baer as ethnically inferior due to his Jewish heritage. Bayer responded by having the Star of David sewn into his shorts, a controversial move that resulted in dozens of death threats. Undeterred, Bayer would wear the Star of David trunks the rest of his career. Even though the fight occurred during the Great Depression, 60,000 people attended the event live outdoors at Yankee Stadium in New York City. In what many boxing historians believe to be his greatest performance, 
Bears severely and easily beat the German, repeatedly pushing Schmeling against the ropes and overwhelming him with combinations of punches. In the 10th round, with Schmeling covering up, Bear turned his head and yelled to the crowd, This one's for Hitler. He then let loose a furious barrage of punches that forced the referee to step in and stop the fight, ruling it as a TKO victory for Bear. After the Schmeling fight, Bear was catapulted into worldwide stardom. A journalist at the time stated that Bear's win over Schmeling represented the Jews' struggles against the Nazis. Bear embraced the celebrity lifestyle and began being seen frequently at New York clubs with Broadway singers and movie stars. One year later, in 1934, Max Bear finally got his title shot against the massive Italian boxer Primo Carnera. Carnera, who stood 6'7 and weighed 267 pounds, was the largest heavyweight champion ever at that point in history. Despite the notable size difference, Max entered the fight supremely confident, stating that Carnera couldn't hurt him and that his only problem would be that he would have to punch upwards to reach the Italian's chin. Max's confidence was completely warranted. He gave Carnera the beating of a lifetime, dropping him 11 times in 11 rounds before the fight was stopped. Carnero was in the hospital for almost a month afterwards. In spite of achieving what every boxer dreams of, winning the world title, Bear refused to go and celebrate and instead sat beside Carnero in the hospital until he was cleared. Later on, Carnero revealed that Bear also personally paid for his medical bills and frequently asked the doctors if Carnero was going to be all right clearly still feeling guilt about the deaths of Campbell and Schaefe. Max was now one of the most famous people on Earth. He appeared on talk shows and in advertisements and increasingly began avoiding the gym. By the time he fought the Cinderella man James Braddock in their legendary title fight, he was consistently spending long nights out on the town partying with other celebrities. Braddock, on the other hand, was training as hard as he possibly could, treating Bear with deadly seriousness. Max hardly trained at all in his camp for Braddock and was seen out late the night before with two different Broadway dancers. When he finally made it to the ring, he was visibly tired and out of shape. While Max had previously stated that he respected Jim Braddock, it was clear that he thought he could end the Cinderella story with one good right hand. When the opening bell rang, Bear expected the older Braddock to start the fight cautiously. Instead, the hard-nosed Irishman immediately initiated a wild brawl, with the two men trading their hardest shots. Braddock was tough and in better shape, but Bear was bigger and the better athlete. Braddock, to the world's surprise, took Max's best punches and gradually wore down the infamous slugger. To make things worse, Max injured his right hand, his greatest and realistically only weapon, in the middle of the fight, setting him back further. Braddock would win the fight by decision in one of the more notable underdog moments in all of sports. Despite losing the belt on his first defense, Max was his usual joking self. He told the press, Jim needed the title. He's got three kids. I don't know how many I have. Bear went on to fight all-time great Joe Lewis entering the fight with his right hand still injured from the Braddock match. Lewis knocked Bear down and eventually out for the first time in his career. When asked about what went wrong, he told journalists, I forgot to duck. He retired officially soon afterwards.
Following his retirement from boxing, Max utilized the connections he had made while sleeping with half of Hollywood and Broadway, and starred in a number of movies. He even featured in a film with his old opponent, the Italian giant Primo Carnera. Several of his movies were officially banned in Germany, probably because Hitler couldn't stand the fact that his example of Aryan supremacy got knocked out by a man with Jewish blood. When World War II broke out in 1941, Max immediately left Hollywood and enlisted in the army, but he was restricted to a primarily PR-based role and never saw action. Max never fully recovered from the mental trauma of killing Frankie Campbell and Ernie Schaefe. His son stated that he often had nightmares and would cry until the morning. He died in 1959, only 50 years old. He left behind a complicated legacy. At once a charismatic playboy, a dangerous killer, a political symbol, and a big, broken-hearted jokester, Max Baer was one of the more complicated and unique champions in the annals of boxing history. As recently as 2007 with the movie Cinderella Man, he has been depicted as a bloodthirsty savage who reveled in the deaths he caused. The truth could not have been more different. Thanks for listening to this episode of Shaking America. If you want to contribute to the podcast, go to shakingamerica.com and click the Ko-Fi link at the bottom left of the page. I really do appreciate it. Thanks again, and I'll see you later.